It is a boom and bust cycle, but you also get to the stage where you have such a big accumulation of debt that that's the final crunch. My name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome back to the New Economics Foundation's weekly economics podcast. This week, I'm delighted to bring you the first of a two-parter with Maverick economist Steve Keane, head of economics, history and politics at Kingston University. Uh, this episode is called Predicting the Crash. Wealth has risen dramatically. The United States economy has never been better shape. Monetary policy is spectacular. We have freer trade than ever before. It was an historic day with Wall Street shaken to its very foundation today. And even the health of the most trusted firms are now being called into question. Are you Good evening. It's been another shattering day on the financial markets. I mean, one of the things that's quite extraordinary, Olivia, is the fact that uh, the world has continued to pile on yeah, debt. Yeah, levered up. The world is still addicted to debt. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, Ben Stein, Bill O'Reilly didn't know, how can any ordinary person know when danger is ahead? You can't you? know. You can't. You cannot know. It is a... So, hello, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh Um, You are uh, number three at present in uh, City AM's top top 100 economists, uh, and you put our regular guest, James Weedway, to shame. How have you found yourself uh, up in those dizzying heights, do you think? It was a bit of a surprise getting the first email, and they only started doing it, what, about six or eight weeks ago, and I found myself coming in at number two and thought, oh, Dan, that means pretty much the only way to go is down, which is not a... So I actually fell from number two to number three when somebody else got inserted into the system. But it's based on clout and Twitter, and I've had a strong social media exposure, you know, for the last decade, so I suppose I got a bit of a head start. I just didn't think I'd jump over 99 other economists to get there. Okay, Steve, but you, you, you uh, as you've alluded to, you don't just tweet. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, well, I'm a professor of economics at Kingston University, and I've been an academic since uh, 1987, which is a good year to get into uh, talking about finance from a non-orthodox perspective. And I run a blog called debtdeflation.com slash blogs. I'm now a columnist on, on Forbes magazine as well. And uh, I go about telling all and sundry that economists haven't got a clue how the economy operates. So you're one of these economists who say they predicted the economic crash. Mm. Uh, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> it, it, it was actually quite a weird day when I realised I had to make the warnings uh, because I'd just been asked by a consultancy in Australia to do a, a case on predatory lending, made this throwaway comment about rising levels of private debt to GDP, saying it was rising exponentially, knew that I couldn't rely on hyperbole, so I went looking at the data, and lo and behold, it was almost a pure exponential increase in the ratio of private debt to GDP. And I thought, thought this got to, there's got to be a crisis when the rate of growth of debt slows down. It's the highest in the recorded data that I have, which went back to the, the 50s at that stage. So it's got to be the biggest level of private debt uh, in since the Great Depression. That's what caused the Great Depression itself. We're going to face another crisis of that scale, and I've got to warn about it, and at least in Australia, I was the somebody at the time. And so you've mentioned private debt there. Why didn't other economists pick up on this kind well, of trend? This, this is one of the neoclassical economics, is, is a, which dominate the, the, the basic school of thought that dominates the way we think about the economy, uh, treats, treats capitalism as a system which reaches equilibrium and, and makes everybody happy. And, and it's a wonderful, uh, peaceful you know, place. like sitting on clouds and playing with harps is you know, their vision of capitalism. And they leave out anything which causes disequilibrium or might cause crisis. 
currencies. And what they have is, in terms of the way they think about money, they think about the world as if money is something that falls from the sky, uh, where the government is responsible for dropping out of helicopters. And lending simply transfers spending power from one of us to another. It's like, you know, I passed 10 of the notes that dropped out of the helicopter from me to you. You've now got 10 more. I've got 10 less. It cancels out and the level of debt doesn't really matter. And they completely exclude the banking sector from their thinking. And I'm the other. my perspective in economics said private debt is an essential part of the demand in a normal capitalist economy, but it can get out of hand. And that comes from the theories of Hyman Minsky. So they put me well and truly in the rebel camp way back from 1987 on, and they just continue, they still ignore private debt even after the crisis. And that's because banks create extra money, right? Not just they create money, they also create demand when they do it. And this this, this is the, the big failing. When, when you borrow money from a bank, you borrow it to spend. When you spend that money, the person you spend the money on gets income. So you're creating demand and income as well as money at the same time. And that's why it's such a crucial factor. So have economists changed their ways since then? Are they paying attention to private debt today? In a very superficial way, they are. So one of my main foils is Paul Krugman, of course, if you saw the fight I had on the internet with him three years ago. And he is championing the argument that money is simply, lending is simply a loan from a patient person to an impatient person, giving the impatient person more spending power, the patient person less. In a very cumbersome paper he wrote with a guy called Eggertson in the Quarterly Journal of Economics back in 2012, in the appendix, they had a model of a bank, and their model of a bank, I mean, resembles nothing you and I've ever gone and got money out of. But their, their vision of a, of a bank had that in this situation, uh, there can be a crisis when uh, people who want to, uh, lenders now want to get repaid, and as they get repaid, their spending doesn't go up to a, enough to balance the lack of spending by borrowers have to repay the money and then you can have a crisis. But it's the most cumbersome possible way of trying to put banking into an into a economic model. So they're doing it, but it's in a very wimpy way. And if they do bring it at all in, in their serious models, they talk about financial frictions. Now, frictions are things that slow things down. They should be talking about financial banana skins, but they can't bring this idea of acceleration into their thinking. So um, how similar is the situation today um, to the situation that we saw before, the 2008? Well, it, it's, it's a bit like going over the other side of a cliff. Okay, you, you're not going to fall off the cliff in the same sense you did beforehand. But we've climbed a mountain of private debt. We've come down a bit from that. And the, the, the crisis was caused by a slowdown of the rate of growth of debt. It went negative in America, negative England for a while. And you're still deleveraging. People are still reducing debt in England now. So that's taking demand out of the economy. Now, we're trying to grow again. They're trying to grow the same way they have, we have ever since the Big Bang, which is growing by expanding credit. But it's a bit like trying to build a, a taller mountain than Everest. It becomes impossible after a while. So what I expect is not a crash like the, the uh, 2008 crash, though China will, is definitely having one as big, if not bigger, um, right as we speak. But what we'll see is stagnation because you'll never get that level of credit-driven growth again. Okay. Isn't this um, pretty inevitable, though? Isn't capitalism just uh, about boom and bust cycles? Yeah, it is a boom and bust cycle, but you also get to the stage where you have such a big accumulation of debt that that's the final crunch. And the last time we hit this was back in the 1930s, obviously. The, the stock market bubble of the great uh, in the 1920s led to a Compared to what we've got now, a relatively minor increase in debt, it really blew out because of deflation rather than because of uh, the scale of debt uh, itself or the growth of debt in the 1920s. But that was the last time we had a huge break in the system. 
The Great Depression and the Second World War both reduced private debt to trivial levels compared to the historical record, and we've now been accelerating up in a series of booms and slumps. So right back to 73, 89, uh, all these slumps were small decelerations. We've finally hit the big one, and we're in the aftermath to that. And, and in an unfortunate way, we haven't got a Second World War uh, to get us out of it yet. Oh gosh, is that the is that the, the uh, war prediction from Steve? Um, so, are we on the verge of another economic crash? Or are you saying there's actually some kind of final crunch uh, that we are yet to get to the finale? The finale yeah. of well, China is now having its crash. It 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 got out of the crisis uh, starting in two thousand and eight or 2009 by basically telling its banks to lend money. And when a Chinese Communist Party official tells you to lend, you lend. So they had the biggest bubble, the fastest growing debt bubble in human history was in China, which was in 2009 and this year. And now that's coming to an end. So they're going to have a bust and a big one. Uh, But the rest of the world is now caught itself in the same situation Japan got into in 1990, where they've had this huge growth in private debt and they're they're never going to get the level of growth again, but they're never doing anything about the level of debt either. So it tends to stagnate at about, in Japan's case, 170% of GDP. And we're all pretty much the same level now. Okay, Dave. Uh, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Dave? (laughs) Steve, my apologies. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to such a lovely rebel uh, amongst the the wimpy economists uh, uh, in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, We've uh, talked about why the economic crash happened and the possibilities of another one. Uh, You've agreed to come back to talk about how we uh, could actually stop the next one from happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're a new listener, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to hear Steve, not Dave, on next week giving us the master plan to stop our economy me from falling apart. Thank you very much, Steve. You're welcome. If you want to help us touch more ears with our kick-ass brand of economicsy goodness, uh, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a cheeky rating, unless it's just the one star, and tell all you see on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, and that new hip cool platform that I'm certainly not aware of yet. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.